You're listening to Conversion Nations, the podcast that helps conversion optimizers overcome challenges they face with their experimentation programs. Brought to you by Effective Experiments, the workflow and project management software helping optimizers make experimentation a core part of their business. Scale up your testing program with a centralized solution and document all your research, ideas, experiments, and results in one place. Learn more and request your free trial by visiting EffectiveExperiments.com. And now, your host, Manuel DaCosta. Hello, and welcome to Conversion Nations Season 2. We've gone quite a few months without doing an episode, but we are back with the original crew, uh, plus a new face. So joining me today, my name is Manuel DaCosta from Effective Experiments, and joining me is Tim Stewart. Tim, good to have you on. How are you? And we have Chad Sanderson. Chad's been away for a while. He's been in a different time zone, which made it a bit harder to get him on the podcast. Chad, how's, how's life? Where are you at right now? Going great right now. So I made the move from uh, New York East Coast to San Francisco and then Seattle. So I landed with Microsoft. Wow, that, that is a big, that is a big uh, well, big jump, right? Not time zone related, company related. So yeah, it's uh, it's good. Good to hear that you're doing well, and you know it's good to have you back on here. Hopefully, we'll do a lot more episodes this season, and we'll keep that going. And as with tradition, we try and bring on new faces. And so, joining me for the first time in uh, Conversion Nation is Alex Abel. Alex, welcome. Hey, thanks. Thanks for having me on. So you know, I have been a CRO and in the CRO world for about the last 10 years. I uh, got my start at Mech Labs, uh, marketingexperiments.com labs, not a meth lab uh, in Jacksonville, Florida. Um, I, you know, I, I was a CRO at a company called BISC. Um, I've worked with campaigns for Verizon and uh, Bank of America, New York Times. Um, most recently, I'm at Ashley Furniture, but I'm actually counting down the days uh, till my last day, and I will be pursuing my startup full-time. And the startup is called? Uh, it's called Lunch Pool. We try to, it's a crazy concept that tries to get people to go out to lunch together with other human beings. Not to be confused with Deadpool. So. <laughs> Not to be confused <laughs> that's with that's Deadpool. That's all I think about. <laughs> <laughs> depends like, which, depends which food truck you buy from. That's true. That's true. We need to get him as a, uh, as a celebrity endorser. As a mascot, yeah. Yeah, definitely. So, yeah, it's, it's great to have you on. Uh, I think, you know, uh, we've talked. Uh, quite a while. I've known you from uh, a while now from your best days as well. And yeah, it's, it's great to have you on. I think we're going to have a, another conversation later on about your own experiences in CRO. So that will be another episode that we'll do together uh, at some point in the near future. I look uh, forward to it. Yeah, definitely, man. And uh, so, yeah, it, it's great having everyone on. Conversion Nations is all about conversations about conversion optimization. Yeah, okay. I've got to remember that probably. But <laughs> it's been a while. You need it's to a good keep, one. <laughs> need to keep, keep the flow going. Yeah, keep the flow going, right? So today's conversation is something that Chad brought up on LinkedIn. Chad, do you want to reiterate that? And you know, let's let's have a discussion about that, about what you brought up on LinkedIn. Yeah, sure. So I made a LinkedIn post uh, recently, and it was addressing an argument that I've kind of seen floating around on the internet for the past couple weeks something you know you hear every now and then as a person in the CRO industry it kind of comes up for a while 
somebody says it, it gets a lot of traction and it kind of dies back down as people make good arguments and then it comes back up again. Um, but this case in particular, there seemed to be a lot of people from big name companies chiming in, Apple, you know, stuff like that. And the argument from Twitter basically looked like this. The A-B testing and experimentation doesn't really deliver much value and it's the best way to actually build a mediocre product. Mm. And a lot of the arguments in the thread were about, well, you know, it prevents you from going quickly, prevents you from shipping quickly, so it slows everything down. Uh, it doesn't measure the right thing, so you're focused on short-term KPIs, things like clicks and, you know, impressions and stuff like that, and so you end up building a website or an app that is full of clickbait and it's full of pop-ups and you have a bad user experience. Um, those were the, the general thread of arguments, and so that's what my post was trying to address, is that experimentation, when you really think about it, is, is just a tool. Um, it's not a set of methodologies. It's not what you should do. It's not how you should behave. Anybody can choose what they want to do with A-B testing, depending on the scale of their site or how many people they have in their org and, and whatever. So how you use it is up to you. Um, so that was kind of the, the, the point of the post. It's interesting you say that because a while ago, uh, you know, there, there was this, well, it still is a concept, dark patterns, right? And it's like, how do you, uh, you know, are you going to use A-B testing for good or are we going to use it for bad? And you could use it for anything. You know, a tool at the end of the day can be used in whichever way it seems fit. It's not going to judge you based on, you know, uh, what method you use. I mean, a lot of uh, sites out there use, uh, like I remember Ryan uh, one, a Ryanair, for those that don't know, is a, is a, is a, is a budget airline, uh, no other adjectives assigned to it, but it's a budget airline that had some dark patterns on their website, and I remember trying to book a flight on there, and uh, they said, uh, the, one of the fields said, do you, want it, uh, do you want insurance, your travel insurance? And I didn't need it, so I clicked on the drop-down, assuming there would be a yes and no option. Instead, there was a list of countries, right? in no particular order, hmm. and the do not insure me was hidden somewhere in that list. Yeah, it wasn't even was, straight at the bottom. It was, it was, it was, yeah, it, was, it wasn't even alphabetical order, it was just somewhere in that list. So I've got good yeah. 80, 90 choices. Yeah, exactly. And it's, it's, you know, it's that type of stuff that, yes, if the, the aim is to increase the average order value of, the, of uh, a customer, you might end up getting a few people signing up to the insurance out of pure frustration, right? And that might be a winner, but is that the right thing to do? So ethics comes into play quite a bit. And I think this is what we should be talking about. What is the ethics of experimentation? And, you know, the, the, as you mentioned, it's a vehicle to drive change. Now, whether that's done faster or slower, or whether it's, um, if, if it's used for good or bad, that's in the hand uh, of the person that's, that's wielding that tool, right? So, yeah, Tim, what's totally. The yeah, that ve vehicle. I like that vehicle for uh, experimenting. Coming with all sorts of words over yeah, here. Yeah, that's easy, good. Good phrasing. Um, so, I think there's two parts this because uh, obviously Chad was referencing in the LinkedIn post. Kind of, there's been an overall vibe, and I think I jumped in on the Twitter thread as well because that's that's where that conversation was happening. People going, "Oh, Apple think that you know if you're A/B testing, it takes a soul out of it." And quite a few people jumped in, going, "No, mm. literally, here's Apple saying, here's how we we don't just test to improve conversion rate. We test to understand how the product is used." You know, you're, you're, you're cherry picking one or two people being misquoted. Um, 
in terms of the ethics side of things, does that even come down to conversion? You know, you could cite Ryanair, but you could cite another uh, airline that chooses to not make its, uh, its business model work like that. The fact that they use testing to optimize how well or how much they could annoy people mm-hmm. it's a tool in the a tool in the stack there's you know when it comes to your budget airlines they are for the most part making you know pennies cents per ticket their profit their entire business margin is made up on adding a bag um paying for premium boarding even though it's basically still the same sort of cattle pen when you get in there being in the first 10 has got a, a privilege and they they sell all the seats they've got so for them, it's a question about maximizing their opportunity. They've got so many seats flying across on this route that they've already got the costs for. If they can sell 5% of the audience into a £10 upgrade, that's probably 50x the profit they would have made on the flight where nobody was tricked into any of these dark patterns. So without that, they wouldn't be in business and there wouldn't be a budget option. So that's, but that's you know, nothing to do with the testing side of things beyond the testing packs gives them a way to quantify where those lines are. We talk often about kind of guardrails and I think the testing tool in that situation is not about maximizing conversion. It's about measuring how many conversions you will lose for every extra five pound upgrade you sell somebody. So if you've got 500 people buying a ticket and you're making one penny per, per ticket, 500 pennies for the flight on profit, you could annoy 499 other people and sell one bag upgrade and make as much profit. So that that's the balance point they're trying to strike to. And we could argue whether that's kind of the way the modern world works or that's the way business works. The fact that A-B testing would give them that threshold means that they can plan their business model, but you don't even need to A-B test that to, to get a number. It just gives you a degree of kind of your risk mitigation, your understanding of kind of how far is too far. Um, so I think it's more of a, a tolerance um, issue you know we are testing how much people are willing to be annoyed and whilst on the, the good side of things the jedi side of things we're trying to reduce as much user frustration as possible reduce friction to help people get to their outcomes as quickly as possible um that doesn't mean that tool can't be used the opposite direction to go how much will you put up with and there's a business model that works for both i kind of want to i kind of want to jump in real quick yeah, go ahead. Go ahead, Alex. Real quick, I, I, it's funny because we have had a lot of conversations um, on my team about, you know, SEO is, you know, my, it's a lot more popular than CRO as a concept. Um, and SEO has black hat and white hat SEO. Mm-hmm. I really like the way that uh, Tim just branded it. I think it should be Sith uh, CRO and Jedi CRO because <laughs> – they're both powerful and they both use the force, you know, of, of everything that we do. But the example that, that comes to mind from my experience is I was working on a, on a, a campaign for a very large telecommunications provider. I'm not going to say their name. I'll just say that they really like the color red. Um, you all but, yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Narrows, the, narrows the choice, but doesn't name it. I think you're probably yeah. with that. Yeah. Okay. Oh, but, no. but yeah. one of the, so you, you talked about how we're trying to see how much we can annoy people without, you know, totally breaking them. The, the stat, the data point that they had found was that it cost $8 for every call that they got into the call center. And so as the CRO team, our test, our objective was to reduce the uh, number of calls to customer care. 
Mm-hmm. Now, you know, that's, you know, that's great. That's a KPI. That's a number. That's something that you can definitely affect with testing. But is that the right thing to do? Because if you don't have some kind of self-serve option and you're just, you know, I think some of the tests that were proposed, not by myself, like I adamantly was fighting against minimizing the, the phone number on the page, um, you know, j- basically just hiding the contact information that people were using to complain or to, you know, get customer service. So I think those kind of scenarios, it it all comes down to intent is the intent to serve the customer or is the intent to make more money? And they're not mutually exclusive, but a lot of times people are only focusing on making more money. And that's, I think, I think that was Chad's point on the, the, the Twitter thread. Sorry, speaking for you, Chad, but you, you were making that point yourself, weren't you? In terms of you, if the argument that people are saying testing slows you down, testing ends up with a lowest common denominator, um, aggregated poor experience for everybody because it's easier. It only ends up with that if that's what you aim for. You know, you, you, yeah. you can use the tool to, to, to have a specialized quality experience and measure where that balance between an eight pound phone call to uh, customer services, we still need to provide for at least a minimum self-serve out of hours service. So it means that everybody has got that. You know, some people don't want to be on the phone. Some people are, are deaf and find that they need to have um, more accessible options. But the business has to decide where they sit on that. And the business, you know, some businesses kind of interesting. You make the distinction between making customers happy and making money. And it's like, yeah, they're not muted exclusive because if you make your customers happy, you make more money. Yep. Whether that's enough money to satisfy your business model, different question. And I'd look more at the business model and, you know, the, every, everybody always quotes Bezos, but he always went, look, if we've got happy customers, we're going to grow. So, that's the first primary objective in mind. That's the intent you were talking about is our intent to make happy customers. And then we'll work out how the business model fits that or is the intent to have the business model the way we need it to be. And we're going to Jedi mind trick the, the weak minded into playing the game the way we can do so most profitably. Um, yeah. know, as Luke says in the latest film, maybe the Jedi should die. Maybe we shouldn't. <laughs> maybe we shouldn't have these tricks available to everybody because you know, it can't maybe be change the name CRO to something else. Yeah, yeah. It's, well, it's, that's why, you know, I think I think there's 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 sort of two two separate, very very similar but separate kind of arguments that that come up. The, the first one, and I made this point in the thread as well as, as Tim was just referencing to, is I think the big, biggest problem in most cases is that there's a, there's a measurement issue going on, right? So it all really comes down to, um, and like Alex said this as well, and, and if, if you have a goal, um, how are you actually measuring that goal, right? If, if you're saying, I want to reduce the number of calls to a call center, usually maybe you're focusing on you know, the, the cost of a call coming in and the time that it's been for a person to answer it and so on and so forth. But is that really what you should be measuring there? Like, is that the most important thing to measure? What should you really be measuring is, you know, what is the impact of doing that on an individual's experience eight, nine months down the line? Yeah. And how that's much, how much more do you have to pay to advertise to attract somebody? If you did a exactly. satisfactory job this time and there's people out there doing a greater than satisfactory job, what you measured then is actually negative to where you are now or where you will be in nine months with competition. And that's, again, I think that comes down to business. That's a lot of them think short term because that's literally how they're targeted. So it's not the CRO. One of the the values of, of CRO, I find at least one of the, one of the biggest um, 
sort of cultural shifts that happens when experimentation really enters a business is that people start thinking about metrics in a different way, right? Now that we're actually taking action on things based on experiments and we're, we're measuring, the conversation I think should start changing to, or the, at least for me, the more difficult conversation is, all right, well, now that we have all this, what are the data points that we actually need? So I can tell you at, at Bing, for example, um, people are not shipping experiments based on clicks and things like that. Like if, if, if you suggest, and that's because Bing has been doing experiments for you know more than a decade now, but they are at such a point of maturity that they have something like 3,000 metrics, I think. And of those 3,000 metrics that they, that they look at in every experiment, there's a few of them that are their OECs that are like, hey, if these things move, this is long-term retention, long-term value. That's, that's a good experiment. That's what we're trying to impact. There's another thing I was having a conversation um, with uh, not too long ago, which is sort of how uh, if people don't take these long-term impacts into account, you can actually end up you know, really damaging the user experience and not just from a, you know, we're optimizing from for clicks perspective. So one is, you know, like, let's say that you're, you're measuring everything or you're measuring a lot of things and you've got a uh, page load time or latency or something like that. That's, that falls under your wheelhouse. And maybe every single test that you run because you're adding new code to a page, you're slightly slowing it down just a little bit, but maybe it's not significant, right? And so you're improving your other metrics. So you, you launch it. And that's not a big deal for one test, but as you get to two and three and four and five and 100 and 500 tests, and if every single time you're decreasing the, or you're increasing the latency on that page by a non-significant amount, if you measured it from start to end, it's now a massive amount and it's extremely significant. Mm -hmm. And you've actually, uh, and I, I can't remember which org this was, but they had something like, they had, they had increased the PLT by something like 25 or 30% through uh, these features that they've been pushing out and they just they just weren't measuring like it was cumulative effects um, And so that's like that's pretty important, too um, Yeah, then, a, lot of, a lot of people obsess over kind of the latency of testing mm -hmm. Which is what but you're talking here about the effect of rolling out the implementation implementation following a test So here's the winning variant. We're gonna put it live in the final code but because we weren't focused on test speed or we weren't focused on anything other than just kind of right here, that the stacked effect of each of those code updates, a code bloat we've added has actually had its own un untested effect because we've never tested 25 new changes versus 25 changes not implemented. Exactly. Talking about the, um, you know, the ethics or the, you know, the, dark, the light of the dark side of the force and the way you implement testing. Where does that really come from? Because, okay, I see that, Tim. We know you have a stormtrooper there. I know, it's just, it's just, I'm, I'm going to get the Darth Vader helmet soon as well. But yeah. <laughs> sure. Okay, Let, let's uh, carry on. <laughs> but uh, the, the thing is, where does this come from? Because I, I don't believe that every, you know, people set out to run tests to be inherently evil, right? They're not there to like trick people, or at least people I know don't genuinely want to do that. Where does this drive to like, you know, deceive people come from through test, you know, testing things, as you said, Alex, you know, like hiding the phone numbers, right? I mean, uh, the, the light side of the test, like just thinking out loud here would, me, would be providing information that the person would call for, typically, you know, typically like the top 10 reasons they call for, put that information on there. And then if they call, that's fine. But may, perhaps you've reduced the number of calls there, but then, there's this um, 
you know, this uh, drive to like run these tests where they're removing phone numbers or they're doing things like what Ryanair is doing. Like, where does that actually stem from? And that's what, what I'm curious about. I think from my perspective, it comes from short-sightedness. Um, you know, you guys that are in the UK, I don't know if it's as bad as it is in America, but a lot of times we're just focused on short-term profits. So what's my next quarter going to be, you know, maybe two quarters ahead, but usually it's just, you know, I'm focused on right now, right here. And that short-sightedness translates into your test design too, because I think that's exactly what we were pushing for on that particular test was let's, let's, you know, sift through the data, let's figure out what the top uh, questions are and let's give them some self-serve options that will reduce the, you know, we could have the phone number front and center and that'll still reduce the calls. Um, but, you know, a lot of times you're short-sighted, you say, no, all I care about is reducing the calls as much as possible and, and you know, forget everything else. And that's when you get into these, you know, ethical dilemmas when you say, I, you know, forget the customer. I'm just worried about the, this one number, this right here, because that's what I was told that I have to impact. And that's where you, you kind of shift over to the dark side. I think, yeah. I think that's, the, that's the natural outcome um, of not having good metrics, right? Then the, if, you're, if your goal, if someone, if someone somewhere said, hey, you know, I want to improve the number of clicks to my website, the natural outcome is having a website full of, full of clickbait. Like that's the only place that you could possibly end up if, if that's your metric and that's what everybody in the company is optimizing. So that, that's the thing. I think if, if your, your test campaign is based on improving tactical metrics right here, right now, paid specific, this visit for this user metrics, which is what Alex is talking about in terms of, you know, let's get it to the ultimate for the right now. Mm -hmm. And Chad's saying, you know, but there's, there's undoubtedly a lifetime effect on that. You know, more people who bought are then available to be, you know, second purchases. If you've never sold something, you can have another repeat purchase. But the metrics that most businesses are based on, they're only reporting the short-term tactical. So therefore, all the optimization happens to be for the short-term tactical. You, if you exactly. turned around to somebody and said, here is my score for reduced phone calls for this test, but next to it you had, and here is my projected loss to lifetime satisfaction MPS score with our customer service for this test, the certainly the board level who tend to have to be more strategic, they'd be mm -hmm. like, hang on, our, our overall strategy is to be the most loved company in this space. Every test we do drives our NPS down. Right, okay, either a guardrail on that NPS score for our customer satisfaction, customer service reputation, or we don't run any test that affects that that we'll actually implement. But because it's not on the test, because the people who are focused on the page and the call center job only have the metric they can measure for the right here, right now. And getting an NPS lifetime score on a test without running it for nine months is near impossible. So you have to have that multiple test, multiple user ID, logged in. You're going to have to do some sort of stitching. You have to accept a smaller sample because only certain people will be able to there to qualify. We hear about holdout tests. Right. There's statistical ways to measure that. But if you're effectively going, we know there's a relationship between tests like this, like you mentioned, your, your kind of... Uh, being OEC metrics in terms of, you know, these ones are lifetime value affecting. These ones are right here, right now affecting. And you've got an eye on the big lifetime ones at all times. But like I say, it's a mature position. There's a lot of established data. There's some historical pattern stuff you can match against. You can create an effective baseline just on kind of the, not just the in sample, but here's what our uh, effective baseline is. There are statistical ways to, to balance that out. But the, the typical company doesn't have that to play with quite often they've got 
goals of bought something with a matching event of bought something and an e-commerce <laughs> transaction of money spent. And then you're yes. trying to sieve that to go, well, was that a real difference? And you know, a classic example I do when I'm talking is quite often people are basing their, their click-through rate for the landing pages across all pages. And like you have products that are 50 pounds and products that are 5,000 pounds. There's a heavy tendency to therefore optimize towards stuff that is bought on first visit because those 50 pound I will buy the day I land products have higher frequency and therefore report bigger and then the guys who maybe are three or four visits and buy a 500 pound product. Yeah. So you end up optimizing to your least valuable, most commoditized product, which is going back to the, the thread that sparked all this. Is that was one of the arguments is people end up yeah. aiming for their lower profit, lower margin, higher volume, because that's where it works on the stats. And that's not a fault of the tool. That's a fault of not thinking through how you do business. There was a talking about, you know, e-commerce as well. I remember a, a, shoe, a large shoe brand, you know, optimize you know, coming up with a, a variation, which was like heavily optimized to you know, drive sales. And they were like, yeah, it, it increased sales by like tenfold or whatever the percentage was. I don't remember. But what they didn't measure, which they clocked on to later was the return rates on those on that. And, you know, if you, the, the short sightedness is one thing that is, is the theme of everything we're talking about right now. It's like we're kind of incentivized or the CROs are incentivized, like, you know, bring in these conversions, bring in the, the this uplift, bring in this revenue. But that's such a short sighted approach when really like if you think of experimentation and the real power of experimentation right across the board, right across like, you know, optimizing the, the business as a whole. That doesn't seem to be factored in. And is it because conversion optimizers aren't given that kind of remit and they're essentially toothless trying to just do landing page tests, right? So, See, I'd, I'd argue they shouldn't be satisfied. You know, if you're an optimizer, if you're given that remit, you should be pushing against it. Because yeah, I think I think one of the difficult, one of the really hard things to do, and this is this is kind of, uh, I think this really gets to the heart of the issue, is that is CRO when you're doing landing page tests is, is easy, right? When you're using a, 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 add a line of JavaScript in the header and then you use a WYSIWYG, like that's easy. Anybody can do it. Like that's kind of this, the whole selling point. But the, there's a trade-off there. Like the easier something is, the less robust of a solution you're going to have. So like Walmart, uh, for example, is, is a company that I've worked with before and they have great testing on the, on the front end. It's amazing. But then when you talk about Factoring in, Manuel, like you were saying, some of the things that were probably really going to matter to Walmart, like return rate and all this other stuff and how infrequent visits to the store, that's a lot harder to measure and factor into a digital experiment. It's just, it's just harder to do. It's harder yeah. to you, – I think that you are joining those data streams together. You're having to, to build pipelines. You're having to ingest that from somewhere. You're having to do stitching. Like that's, that's not an easy problem to solve. And I think that small businesses and, and medium-sized and a lot of big businesses don't have the technical firepower to solve that problem. In a lot of cases, they don't even know that's the problem that they should be solving. Correct. And, Correct. and this is what a lot of the people on that thread were kind of trying to say was, you know, if I'm a UX designer, I don't, I don't care about all that stuff. I'm just trying to make a good experience for somebody because I know what delivers a good experience. I know, experience. yeah, yeah. Yeah, that, I know what works. Yeah. I know it works. So this is best practice and stuff like best yeah, practice. But, 
Best practice is the worst phrase in CRO. It's, what, what's, <laughs> it's, best, what's best practice for that? It's like, I don't, oh, no, no. A worst not. phrase is quick wins. Low-hanging well, fruit, quick wins. Well, that's, you actually... You, <laughs> So you brought it around full circle. So I think that again, uh, you know, it's, it's our own fault as an industry because we, I think what Tim in, indicated earlier was that some, some people are in the testing maturity cycle where they don't have their long, long-term value or, you know, what, whichever metrics are very important, they don't have those defined yet. And so they start doing testing, not being able to even consider those because they don't know that they should be measuring them. But what we've created is kind of this expectation that, like, for example, when I was at DISC, I got put in this role and they said, okay, well, you know, you really just need to get some quick wins and then we can expand the testing program. And it's like, okay, so you give me landing page tests for lead generation and you want me to get, you know, quick wins, so to speak, but that incentivizes that dark side behavior. It says, hey, I need you to get some really, really quick, you know, arrows or bar charts to the to the north so that we can expand your program and give you more budget and give you more resources and all this and as a professional i want all those things but you kind of get put in thrown in the fire in this ethical dilemma to you know what's it worth this, this is what i was just saying i think i think we as, as optimizers if we truly want to get the business fixed then mm -hmm. we need to push back at that very point and it is tough when it's your first starting in a role when you're just engaging with a new client they always want to show me the results and then then after that we'll you know we'll invest in it and yeah. we accept that challenge more often than we should because we know we can we know we can move the needle on you know chap saying inconsequential smaller short-term stuff but we end up therefore writing a check for ourselves in the future we've got oh you've got big wins on the landing pages let's yeah. do another slice of our business unrelated to how it interacts with everything else in our business and let's optimize for that and then eventually you stop running out of those long start running out of those low-hanging fruit those easy obvious easy to report wins mm -hmm. you start saying this is one this is test one of a series of 12 which is working towards our overall strategy this year of improving our general perception or our return rates or our lifetime spent per customer in a 12-month rolling period that's not as easy to prove it's not as easy to measure it's not as easy to set up tests for and you could find that after 12 tests seven are effective towards the end goal five aren't and you're then trying to judge the value of that and the answer is well if we hadn't done it we'd be worse than we are now because we can show the improvement at least some of these but that's a brave person who does that in their role in the first week going i'd like to take your throwaway little tests my prove myself tests my <laughs> first and second dates before we get married but by the same token if we are planning to get married we need to have the groundwork for this long-term relationship from test one so these first tests are on a roadmap and that roadmap will evolve and it will look like this and here are the three tracks we'll be following down these are on the small inconsequential track they're biding the time as we work on test one on the media importance track which will take x amount of time and almost unconditionally turn and say look here's how it's going to happen it's got, it's got to happen in a way that goes, we are going to use the sum parts of this to make a better overall total because that's the value from experimentation is the sum pot of knowledge you gain from questioning these best practices, questioning what you assume to be correct from the data, challenging yourself, even on your own wins. Could we have done that better? By doing so, did we add page latency we haven't accounted for? You know, these yeah, are- I, gave, I actually gave a, a presentation on this recently um, and I think, I think that sort of because experimentation was used as a marketing tool, uh, first and foremost, it created a kind of an unhealthy view. I, 
on CRO, I think. And it's because one of the ways, uh, something I've seen that's very common in marketing is that uh, managers are always looking for ROI on everything, right? Like I have a tool, that tool should generate some ROI. I should see some tangible value out of it. This is how much I paid for it. This is how much money it's generating me. It's paying for itself 2X, 3X. But if you look at engineering, there's a lot of tools that aren't like that. So like a QA team, for example, is not going to generate you any ROI. Um, you know, running, uh, running uh, automated tests and CICD is, is probably not going to generate you ROI. These are things that you do to be safe. The things to say, you know, if I'm deploying something, I'm not making any major mistakes, right? It's the same concept as, as insurance. Like if I were to go and pay insurance, I wouldn't expect to make any ROI off of that. It's always going to be a cost, but it's going to save my, my behind if I ever get into an accident or, or a real problem later. And that's not the, that is the view of experimentation at a lot of these larger tech companies is that AB testing is something you use to validate your features and make sure that you don't crash and burn. It's not something that you use to just generate this constant flow of, of money. What should be generating the money is your feature design. And that's sort of, Manuel, that's kind of what you were saying about the ethics before. I, I don't see any part of that. I don't see any of this tied to experimentation or A-B testing at all. It's just a method. This is anything unethical that happens on a page is bad feature design. That's somebody sitting down and saying, I want to make this. I know it's probably an unethical thing to do, but I'm going to do it anyway. And I'm going to, I'm going to put it out there for people like that. That is, that is the problem. It's that thought process. And then targeting, targeting to go and how can we now make this palatable? Like mm -hmm. I've made the decision. My business wants this. We, we, we're going to make that call. Then all we're testing for is, can we get it past more people? Can we fool more people with Jedi mind tricks or can we make it palatable enough that, that we don't annoy so many people? It doesn't stack up to our business model. That's, that's where the, the ethics boundary lies in terms of, you know, Alex said earlier on the intent behind it. I think intent gives it more, um, uh, more autonomy, more kind of credence. than I think it's actually got a lot of the time. This is unconscious. They aren't sat there going, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> They are literally just going, I've got a target. I'm going to do this. This is a way to get it bigger. And yeah. they're not giving any thought to the longer term. They're not giving any thought to the user, despite every presentation they've got saying they're user centric. They're yeah. just going, we've got a need and we're going to use testing to make the users fulfill that need for us, which is the opposite way around to the way it should be. That's what we're yeah. saying. So just saying if the so user's got a need by us solving that need for them, we end up with money. That, that's, so that's user centric. Yeah. Everybody's got it. It's a value. On it's, a value exchange. it's a value exchange and I've gotten into this argument with uh, with uh, some of my UX designers where they're like no you know that you're pushing too much of the business goals on the user you should really just focus on the user goals and then you'll you'll you know you'll win as a business or the product will be better for it and I, I, I fought back I said that's they're not mutually exclusive it, again it goes back to intent but you know the business, the if we if we just succumb succumb to all of the user needs, we'll be giving away our product and we won't make any money. So it it has to be a two way street, but it it all comes down to the intent and the intent to put out a a product that the users enjoy enjoy enough to give you some kind of surplus in value that you know makes it economically profitable and it makes sense to do business. And and I think that's the the core of it. But Tim, you said something earlier, and 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 um, I wanted to touch on it. So 
you said that you need to be bold whenever yeah. uh, you're in this role and you're put into this position. Like I can, the, the strategy that I took, and I want to get you guys' opinion on this, is I really fault to say, look, I'm a CRO manager. I have experience with CRO, but I need an outside perspective. I was really fighting to bring in a consultant that had a lot more experience than I did to just to have someone that wasn't in, you know, in the building saying, you know, that could kind of help as an ally to say, look, you, we need to push back on this, you know, someone that could be fired and, and go find another client. Um, because I think a lot of times you have these new testing programs, you have new testing managers and it's really hard to push back. It's really hard to be that brave individual. Um, so what are your feelings? Do you think it is that the time where it makes sense to try to bring in an outside CRO uh, consultant or company? As, as an outside CRO consultant, I highly recommend you, uh, <laughs> <laughs> you hire people with experience and gray hair and often red t-shirts. Um, what about uh, stormtroopers as well? Um, whatever memorabilia you want. I'm not going to be, you know, if they've got... No one is about red shirts though, right? Yeah, no, it's Star I'm Trek. We're going to Star oh, Trek territory. Star Trek. I'm, not, I'm not beaming down to the planet anytime soon. Uh, <laughs> um, yeah, short answer is kind of it depends. Obviously, uh, yeah. as as a consultant, that's my that's my you know, requirement to say that. I think the the solution often is to get an outside point of view because it does cut past some of the politics, and sometimes it is the only way to cut past the politics. You have to. Um, get somebody in who's got no dog in the fight and have them back up one side or the other or challenge both and say, you're both kind of wrong mm -hmm. um, because without that, nothing will ever happen. Um, the ideal is, as, as you know, Chad said many times before, is, is engage with the stakeholders. It's kind of do it properly. If, if, you're, feeding, if you're facing this kind of fee uh, feedback, if you're getting this kind of resistance and as a CRO manager, you know that what they're asking for is not the direction it needs to go in for it to work. You know, if they're telling you what they need, but then they instruct you to do what they want and those two things are opposed, you have to find ways to kind of people manage and change manage the, the people, uh, the, pr the processes around those people to make it happen. And sometimes uh, sitting in the seat where it's got to happen, you can't do that. So having an extra person coming in, having experience can help. The ideal is, is kind of, you build longer term relationships with all the parts of the business that you need to get on with, work well with at best, um, tolerate at worst, but you're going to have to deal with these guys. And you can't just call in the big guns every time you need to solve an argument that ends up being counterproductive. Yep. So uh, I kind of, it comes, I guess it's kind of, yes, it's a short term tactic, but actually I think that might end up done repeatedly undermining your position. And Chad's Absolutely. thing is kind of engaging with the stakeholders is hard because you're trying to explain to them that the quick wins they've been promised can't happen. Their cunning plan to hit their short term tactical target is going to be too manipulative to be easy to test in a way that doesn't send you down a direction of the business and want to go as a strategy. You know, yeah, we can rip money out of people's pockets. We're very good at that. You do that for too long and we're not going to have a business. But they can't see that because their short term is, well, that's next month's problem. And you kind of need to solve that root cause. And that means that quite often you speak to the stakeholders surrounding you. And again, referring back to Chad and previous conversations, so which we've now got on a channel, so you can go back and look at old episodes. Um, Netflix. Yeah, yeah, it's like a Netflix version. It's not. It's but, not. but rubbish. <laughs> bad version of Netflix. I'm on there. I mean, seriously, who'd volunteer to binge watch? Them? Um, but we have covered this subject before, and in that 
this works best when you've got um, board level buy-in. Like when the business as a culture understands that you are going to be striving to improve, understands that we're not just talking about A-B testing landing pages or A-B testing web pages or processes. We're experimenting on how we handle those phone calls when they come into the customer services. We're experimenting with the script. That, that's actually really few companies right now, right? I remember yeah. doing, doing, that workshop, uh, doing a workshop at Conversion Hotel uh, you know, a couple of years ago, and Ronnie Kohavi from Microsoft was sat in, the, in that workshop. Yeah, it made me really nervous. But I was running a workshop, and I was talking to you know, the challenges that people have working with developers, for example, and Ronnie put up his hand and said, you know what, at Microsoft, every developer can run their own experiment. And I was like, yeah, Ronnie, that's Microsoft. They're like up there, they're running loads of tests. And I can guarantee you people over here, they're still struggling to get their tests out and ask for a show of hands and nearly everyone put their hands up. But the, the same, same in his presentation after that workshop though, he also said, he talked about situations where he'd got stuff he wanted to do on Bing, he'd proved it on Bing. And it's one of the use cases he talked about where like it'd been argued about for a year. It was a small change, they made it and it's the biggest money maker they'd done and it's something the best practice and we shan't bother it's so small we shouldn't even bother with had just been sidelined people's opinions the 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 stakeholders for that particular part of the sales process had not bought into it and even when the data was there they're like well we still don't believe it that's that's with ronnie and microsoft and the entire set of data you still get that even in those best companies so i'm not saying that unless you know, say to alex unless you can do it the perfect way it's not worth doing because otherwise nothing would happen but yeah. i'm saying that the those challenges that kind of it's almost like getting a technical debt if you don't handle those personality clashes if you don't handle that cultural stuff you end up with a debt that becomes that very corner we're talking about you painted into a cul-de-sac you painted into a corner where you're going we've only ever proved ourselves by doing these easy to interpret short-term tactical tests therefore the only thing we're valued for is short-term tactical tests therefore the only stuff we got funding for metrics for short-term tactics and you end up in the situation where you, I, I do believe you have to be bold. You have to turn around and say, yes, but no. Mm-hmm. And sometimes as an external consultant, I get to say that because they're paying me lots of money to kind of go, you know, what's your opinion? And hey, I, I'm paid hey, to tell them they're wrong. Hey, Tim, can I pause you for a second? I just need to say bye to Alex because I think he's, he, he needs to head off right now. So we're just going to take a pause over here and say thanks to Alex for joining us. Okay. I have a feeling we're going to do another episode soon in the future, Alex. Um, so I'll, I'll catch up with you soon. But thanks yeah, for joining thanks for, us. Thanks for having me on. on. And great to talk Here's to you guys, Chad and Tim. Uh, and I'd love to explore more about how to build those relationships because that's that's huge. That's everything. Yeah, that, it's, that it's, not, it's, not, it's not an easy job. That's why I was, yeah, that's what I was yeah. coming towards. It's, 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 it's a lot easier to say than it is to do. And so yeah. a little bit of both yeah. is required. Nice. Yeah. All right. Well, I'll see you guys on the next one. Thanks, All Alex. Right. So back to you, Tim. Let's continue where you left off. Right? <laughs> <laughs> combo breaker so uh, yeah so i was saying the 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 um, like we've got technical debt you've got relationship debt the having those conversations trying to get people to understand is something that can happen it can take years to do yeah but, but you know as alex was asking can we just hire a consultant that can be a shortcut because you know i get to come in and i don't care who i offend but by the same token i still need the guys to get the result they need and if yeah definitely if what's blocking them is their inability to plan the lack of budget lack of support for those longer term pieces that's not going to be insoluble but the solution for that is going to be more than they're willing to pay okay so here's here's something i want to bring up on on the back of that right so we know that it's a long play it's not something that's going to happen in a month or two months or whatever right what do you make of conversion optimizers that are and this is a trend i've seen right they're in companies 
like generally speaking, if you look at the trend of how long they're in a, in a particular role, it's like about eight months to about a year, sometimes maybe about a year and a half to two years. Is that enough time for them to make an impact? And the other thing which kind of concerns me on the back of that is this concept of sideways promotion, right? So they go into a role, they start a role, they do all the low-hanging fruit, so they, they look like heroes. Then they, they get snapped up uh, you know, in another company, so they go there, and then over there they get a slightly more senior role. They do exactly the same thing again, go to the next role. So you see people like you know, a couple of years ago that they were working maybe at an agency or something, and then literally like a year later, they're the senior conversion manager at this multinational company. Like how does that factor in, right? And this is like what I'm trying to, trying to understand if we're saying conversion optimization or whatever term you want to call it is a long play. It takes time. You can't just go in, you know, guns are blazing and trying to, you know, throw in all the, the quick wins. Like, the, the, the senior management don't know about this. So they see these results and they're like, yeah, this is great stuff. And then, you know, whoever you, comes, you used whoever to have comes a hot, next. hot CRO prospect and then it's slowed down. I think yeah. that, okay. So take that to its extension. If this is markets that's still maturing, if we've got these people who are hitting all the low hanging fruit, then eventually you're going to turn up and most of those low hanging fruit have been got all the obvious stuff, all the UX stuff, all the broken bits fixed. And you may be a couple of kind of inconsequential ones have turned up racing, but the base template, the base business model, the base way they're set up is pretty good. But they've been used to 20% here and 5% there. And, and now you're diminishing returns. Your next yeah. big win might be 1%. But that, that 1% as a monetary value is worth more because five years ago, 20% was worth a million. Now 1% is worth a million. Yeah, but they're not looking at it in those terms because we've always kind of discussed it as you know, the uplift relative to the, the, the test we're talking about. Um, eventually, those people will run out of steam. They'll run out of companies to go to. And don't forget, we're, it's not like we're wanting for new kids coming into the business going, oh, I've been testing for two years. I'm an expert. Um, yeah. But there's going to run out to a point where, okay, there's still people who have not tested. There's still people who are mucking around with just doing landing pages and, and basic kind of functional stuff to help their marketing spend. But that's as far as they've taken it. Yeah. They're going to mature. So there's going to be a market for that. So I don't think it's necessarily going to end anytime soon, but it's going to be something where that cultural aside, they're kind of these for me, and it's a bit difficult to generalize, but that's people who have hit this cultural barrier, done what they could and then gone, right, I'll move on to somewhere else and start again. So yeah. they, they've never got, they've never broken the glass ceilings a long term, but the, they've never broken past the kind of the paper mache ceiling that, that taking it back to the business and saying, now I've earned enough credit. There's a bigger picture piece here that we need to look at. And that involves grown up metrics, strategic test plans that go alongside these tactical and kind of the question you started out with, you know, if it's a long term thing, how do we sell it in? Yeah. Let's use a conversion optimizers uh, trick. People get, you know, they love their little endorphin hits. So rather than promising them a big win in two years' time done properly, which nobody finds attractive, particularly nobody who's working with a short-term mentality uh, finds attractive, you, you in your head know where that end goal will be. You can paint the picture of where your testing program will end up. But your tests towards that goal all are their own individual little wins that give a little endorphin hit of, oh, we, we, we're 
with 19 steps to go or 18 steps to go with and you count them down at suitable intervals and you reward people's continued investment in time and tolerance for what you're asking them to do which is contrary to their quick release schedule and i know what i'm doing and yeah you show them the value of doing it and you have to do that repeatedly and you have to do that regularly and that's yeah I think, I think another another sort of and, and this is I, was, I touched on this a little bit earlier, but I think one of the fundamental problems, Manuel, is that the business expectations when they are hiring CROs is we are going to make money from this person and you're going to be able to directly measure the impact that this individual is contributing to the business. There's very few other roles where that's expected. Right. If you hire a designer, you're not going to say, I'm going to measure quantitatively every single dollar that you've contributed to with your with your design. Right. I think there's another aspect to CRO here, which is what Tim was alluding to is let's build better metrics. Let's get other people in the business to start doing their own testing. Right. Let's get other engineering teams to be able to run experiments uh, on their own when they're deploying code. Is there a test attached to that? Like that is a whole other set of things that can add a huge amount of value that isn't, here's a dollar amount. And if you don't hit the dollar amount that we want, then, then you're, you're out, right? Yeah. So Day since there, last fatal accident sign in, in yeah. the, the release department, you know, QA has saved this many mess ups. You know, that, that's not a metric the business would necessarily associate because they don't see mess up as a revenue risk until it hits. Until so, it hits, yeah. exactly. Yeah. And no, I, I feel it goes yeah. even further back than that, though. I think primarily what's happening is how, why are uh, senior management, whoever's doing the hiring, why are they hiring with that expectation in mind first of all, right? Where, where are those expectations coming from? It's marketing. It's the, 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 way, the, the, way, the way that I've always, and, and you guys may, may disagree, my, my experience with marketing has been, Interesting, but the way I've always seen marketing operate, and this isn't necessarily a bad thing, it's just that sort of the, the, the order of operations for marketers is that it's very, very uh, revenue ROI driven. It's like we have an email campaign tool. That should generate ROI. Let's measure the impact of every email campaign we send out. We have a personalization tool. That's ROI driven. That should measure it. But experimentation can't be confined to that. Like it's not just, you know, we run, like if you confine it to that, if that is the, 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 uh, the completion, if that is the complete picture of what you're expecting from CRO, then you're going to only get these, you know, low value, low hanging fruit based tests because that's all that that's being seen. But if you're hiring someone, if you're hiring someone in CRO and you're saying like, Hey, look, we want to make sure that we, and it's not, and it's not just about safety. Like if you're enabling another product team to run their own experiments independently, well, that's going to give them the ability to try out things that they never would have tried. Uh, if they're just shipping things to production, right? That has enormous value. Like just that as almost like a philosophical principle, like I am safe. I'm, I can measure the things that I'm, the, the, measure the code deployments I'm actually making. Therefore, I'm going to try many more things and uh, some percentage of those things are going to lead to a much better experience. That is awesome and you can't quantify it with a dollar value unless you're able to, to take the, 
uh, somehow you would need, you need like 50 data scientists to work that algorithm out on how much you've actually contributed. And none of them would agree. <laughs> well, none of them would agree, yeah. On the back of that. that. There are 51 and a half different answers. Um, yeah, yeah well, I, I mean, I think, sorry, Manuel, I think the, um, one of the points that we've touched on before is kind of part of that um, democratization and part of that bringing it across is the company's um, need to be able to measure not just the test, not the website, but but how effective that is on the the, the, the team. So your team composition, mm -hmm. I talked about the error rates, the engineers, as a whole, how well are we doing as a business is often not measured. So did we build this test better? Did we waste less time on repeated coding because we picked something in QA? Did we make less mistakes that needed to get caught in QA? That's that's the cost to this. The you know the the uh, build cost of this doesn't doesn't get more efficient if you're just throwing more bodies at it. And if you spread it across teams who are less competent, who are kind of uh, <clears throat> less efficient, should we say, in terms of getting their version of the test done, you're actually going to dilute your KPI down. You know, if your main indicator is we're getting better at testing, and then we hand it to people who can't, our KPI is going to go down. But yep. Why do people care about that? Is because the punishment, the failure state for that is you're doing less well. I think teams at the moment are trained to be afraid of failure. And we're talking about, you know, fail fast, every yeah, yeah. that stuff. But if you get it wrong, fail fast, except when you get it wrong, I'm going to rip you a new one and cost you your job. So people become risk averse. Yeah. And that defeats the purpose, right? Yeah, and defeats the purpose of testing and also makes them test in a cautious not wide-minded, not pushing the limits, not kind of different way. They end up testing into a, I know I can get repeated results with this. I know this is a safe test to run. So you end up with not testing the way it needs to be in terms of the breadth and depth that you're going to. Yeah. And people hiding failures. They won't say, hey, we caught more bugs this time. They'll go, there were no bugs. No, bugs didn't happen. So they're actually hiding one of the biggest value pieces they've got from improving their process and improving their release testing because then they'd actually have to admit, we're making less mistakes than we made. The yeah. punishment for making mistakes is actually what was why those exist in the first place. You know, there's, there's, they have never been able to have that. So done properly experimentation, the culture of doing so can give those guys the same tools that we get so we can quantify. I and mean, Chad was saying, it's a, why are we asked to quantify? Yeah, we, yeah. That's what the tool does. But if we can quantify the right metric for the right part of the business, it then becomes a defense against this fear of failure. And you know, having a metric for the engineering guys to say, we prevented 50 more bugs going live or having a user-impacting effect than we would have done without testing, that's a great target to hit. But it's not one you want to try and game because to get it higher next year, you've had to have more bugs to then knock more off. Yeah. Just... It, it's it's a, up a failure, basically. Yeah, here's a number. So it's the approach to failure, the reason why... Um, people don't want to do testing, want to leave it to just the CRO guys is because they know that tests fail. And it's like, well, test failing is not a bad thing. It's understanding why they fail. It's the important thing. Yeah. And the same is true for every other part of your business. And this is where, uh, this is where I think, so in, in that, so sort of bringing things full circle, but this is where I think that UX designers actually kind of have a point. I, I think that they're right. And I think that a lot of CROs need to do, need to do better here because one of the things that they kind of say is, hey, when I'm, even though it's best practice, even though, you know, whatever, and that gets a lot of, of laughs. Um, but what they're doing is, is they're designing based on what they feel 
is going to be best for the user way down the line, right? They are not optimizing for the short term. Like that is not the goal of, of really good UX design. Now we know because we measure that there's a high probability that their assessment could be wrong. But the other thing, and this is why sometimes I've talked to designers and they say, they say things like, well, um, you know, you can't really measure what I do uh, quantifiably. And, that, and I actually agree with that. I think that in many cases you can't because in, in terms of the, the quantitative data that we have available, it's extremely limited in terms of all the actual data that's out there that we, that we, could, uh, that we could be, like Subway, uh, I worked at Subway for a while as an example. We couldn't measure one of the most critical aspects of a customer coming into Subway, which is how hungry they are, right? Kind of fundamental to know how hungry a person actually is uh, when, they, when they arrive at the website. We, we can't measure that. And those are the types of things that a lot of designers are saying, this is what my design is trying to influence. All of those things that you can't measure. And so I think when we totally ignore that and say, yeah, 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 that, that doesn't matter. That's not important. Uh, that's, that's, that's a mistake. And I think that sometimes when organizations can embrace optimization and fall in love with this quantitative, you know, let's measure everything uh, or let's measure a, a few things culture, they can forget about that other piece. And when they forget about that other piece, then that's how you end up with these, you know, these crazy experiences and with people who, who don't value like the real customer experience, but the real customer experience isn't actually that quantifiable. Yeah. yeah. And you know, we can infer, you know, if, 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 they've, if they've done a design and it's best practice, and I'd agree, it's hard to kind of test to get to what hungry landing page looks like. But if exactly. they've done a design which is based on psychological principles, based on messaging that's intended to appeal to people who are hungry versus people who are planning in future, you should be able to infer that in terms of do we see a higher uh, purchase rate amongst people who at meal times for their time zone. Yeah, do we see a higher purchase rate for first-time visitors? The visit to purchase speed goes up, all other things being equal. You know, are they incentivized to go through faster? And so there are things we can use to infer to say this was a design intended for hungry people. We think that hungry people will get through faster, maybe buy more add-ons, and will see a greater effect at particular times of day. And then the testing should challenge that UX assumption of this is for hungry people to say, well, if it's supposed to do that, none of those metrics are moving. So either it's not very good at affecting hungry people or the metrics we've got don't actually give us as much. We're confounding uh, what we assume to be correlatory uh, metrics and none of those key metrics actually matter. Maybe there's higher inclination for them to, to have a voucher code. You know, or lower inclination for them to have. There's, there's something else that's in the in the net, in the matrix that we could have measured that actually would have had effect. Which is where you start off talking about you know having three thousand metrics or so on a test. The the ones you're using for the test and the test design, but having the other stuff measured can give you intelligence and okay, well we weren't testing for this, but we appear to have one of those related metrics has had a a dip or a tick around the same time. Let's do a test to explore why. We're not going to base our win because this is up or down because that wasn't the test metric. But turns out the voucher code spiked hugely when we did a hungry page. And why would that be? Because surely if they're hungry, they don't care about voucher. But that's the sort of stuff which you can use to learn about the audience and explore the audience. And by um, poking the edges you can start to at least narrow down the stuff that your UX guys can't measure. But we need to start from 
somewhere don't yeah. we we need to start with well let's start with the best guess and that's i think where best practice comes in is based on these principles based on what we're trying to aim for let's have best practice but then our job is to try and beat best practice you know better practice is the next goal and then that becomes a new bench line benchmark to do so i've got no problem with best, best practice it's best practice instead of doing the other stuff rather than best practice as a starting point and yeah that's unfortunately it tends to not be the way around it's done it tends to just be well we go with the one we think will win and we won't bother checking well that's exactly. not te- that's not testing yeah. then is it yeah that's what that's where cro really like to me like the way that i see it is i i personally i don't see experimentation or cro as you know this is something like we need to conform the business to best practices of cro i see it as experimentation is a is a measurement tool it's a measurement tool that exactly as you said to to figure out what are the leading or lagging lagging indicators for those things that we are not able to measure and then trying to measure them as best we can and seeing what are the unintended side effects of launching something to 100 million people that even our ux designers were not able to anticipate and then rallying the business not behind hey you know we need to you need to have this color versus that color and, and that mentality but the mentality of take take what you know you are the expert of your area figure out what are the best metrics it's really more of a metrics problem or measurement problem and and figure out how you can best measure measure this with the data that you have and then do it right like that should be the rallying cry of, of CROs. not i'm gonna you know improve this or, or improve that yeah so we're gonna we're gonna get better but first define what better is for you, you know, it's, it's, that's, that's- that's great, guys. I mean, this is, I think, we, uh, all of the season on Conversion Nations, we should explore that theme. And I think we should really, like, try and explore and, you know, also have, through our conversations, try and, you know, inspire people to be that real change, whether, uh, you know, stop doing bullshit CRO, basically, and do meaningful work. I know it's easier said than done, as you said, Tim. Uh, but, you know, this this has been a, a cracking episode. You know, uh, thank you again for joining me, Tim, uh, and Chad, and Alex, who had to step off a bit early. But for all of you listening, uh, Conversion Nation, thank you for joining us. Uh, if you've missed season one of uh, the podcast, it's available on our website, effectiveexperiments.com. You can check us out over there. Or you can also listen to the audio versions on uh, Apple Podcasts. You can subscribe and leave a review for us. And on Spotify Podcasts as well. I was going to say, we're on Spotify now. That's that's how I listen back to it. (laughs) Check check us out over there. And yeah, yeah, there's a lot more episodes to come. But I think uh, we're kind of figuring out a running theme for this this season. I think uh, by the end uh, of, you know, the, the run of episodes that we have in this uh, season, we're going to hopefully, you know, inspire people to, you know, speak up and share their own experiences of how they're driving real change in their organizations. Uh, but for me, uh, Manuel de Costa at Effective Experiments, and Tim, thank you. Bye-bye. And Chad, thank you for joining me again. Hope okay. to see you guys the, in the future. Bye for now. You've been listening to Conversion Nations. Don't forget to subscribe to get notified when we release new updates. Conversion Nations is brought to you by Effective Experiments. Want to make experimentation a core part of your business? Request your demo and let us show you how we can help you grow your testing program.